This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. TIKA.com. I love the idea that humans could reach the moon because that told us we were capable of anything. I was a, a little dreamer. That was Dr. Deva Newman, and you could say she's still a dreamer. What she's dreaming is our future. As the new head of the famed MIT Media Lab, she'll be leading some of the most brilliant minds on this planet as they seek solutions to humanity's pressing problems and new possibilities. I'm Milan Verveer, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. Dr. Deva Newman has had her eyes on the stars for decades. With a background in aerospace engineering, she was the first female engineer to serve as deputy administrator of NASA. She's currently professor of astronautics at MIT, and she's famous for inventing a revolutionary spacesuit called the biosuit. But she's also bringing space back down to Earth. Among her projects is EarthSpeaks, a platform of space data that can be used to help regenerate our oceans, land, and climate. If you want to feel hopeful about tomorrow, listen and learn why Dr. Deva Newman is one of Seneca's 100 women to hear. I'm so thrilled to be here today with Dr. Deva Newman a professor of aeronautics and astronautics at MIT. She's also the new director of the MIT Media Lab and was a former deputy administrator of NASA. So we have a woman of great achievement with us today. Welcome so much, Dr. Newman. Oh, thank you. Ambassador Maria, this is, uh, this is so exciting for me to join you today. Well, it's exciting for us to be sure because uh, in July... You will take over as head of the famed MIT Media Lab. 
We know it's a hotbed of innovation, a place where experts from different disciplines come together to build the future. Uh, and one recent uh, invention from the lab is a device that I can't even imagine, but it allows you to communicate with your computer just by thinking. GPS came out of the Media Lab, as did touchscreens, to name just a few of the many innovations. Um, let me ask for starters, what did you want this job? Why did you want to engage in it? Um, and what do you want to accomplish, perhaps most importantly? I've been a professor at MIT for, gosh, you know, 27 years, and now the opportunity to be the director of the Media Lab is, um, you know, kind of a dream come true. Frankly, it's just the most creative place at MIT. It's multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary, transdisciplinary. I call that MIT discipline, you know, moving across and really thinking about the future, as you mentioned, some of the most recent, you know, innovations, but that's our job. That really is what we see our job. You put engineers and scientists, but you put designers and artists, you put us all together, then we can think about really hard challenges that for society, for humanity. And we get busy and say, okay, let's, uh, let's envision what we can do here. And then we, uh, MIT, men's at monos, you know, mind and hand and heart. And we get busy on trying to invent the future, say, solutions. But it's all about how can we positively impact society? So we keep that front of mind. And I just get to join these amazing uh, faculty colleagues, the researchers, the students, of course, uh, when you're a faculty member, it's almost always about your students, right? They always, they're always the geniuses and, and you know that and trying to work with them, but mentor them and coach them, you know, into their wonderful careers. So yeah, I'm ready to, I'm already ramping up, but uh, July 1, you said, I uh, take the new reins as director of the Media Lab and I, I can't wait to get started. Well, and so uh, extraordinary to be able to tap the potential of those MIT students who are, we know, very extraordinary in their own right, uh, and to work with these teams of experts. You know, you've been called a designer, a thinker, a maker, an engineer, an educator, a mentor, a convener, a communicator, a futurist, a humanist, um, and probably most importantly, an optimist. Which of those roles are important to you? Perhaps all of them. Uh, and what would you touch on as perhaps the most important? So let's start at the end, an optimist. I am an eternal optimist in uh, my specialty of research. We might talk about, you know, getting empowering uh, people to get to, get to Mars, uh, becoming interplanetary, exploring um, Earth, taking care of Earth. So it really is um, trying to be an optimist, uh, someone who says yes, always says yes, there's always constraints, but say yes, we can do this. If we can imagine it, then we can do it. So trying to bring in that, that optimism and the exploration part of it, the futurist, and then I'm a trained engineer and scientist, and I've been an educator my, my whole life, so really thinking always about the next generation. I was uh, so lucky to have great mentors in, in my life and different opportunities. And so uh, kind of paying that forward as well. And as you said, you've been at uh, MIT now for almost three decades. Uh, and you are currently a professor of uh, aeronautics and astronautics. Could you tell us a little bit uh, what astronautics involves? Sure. That's um, So it's aerospace engineering is the 
easy way to think about that. So as an engineer, I'm specialized both in, in training in air and space. And the great thing is, is that now there's this convergence across the spectrum. When I went to, to college way back, then it was you could kind of specialize in aeronautics or aviation, you know, learn about planes and how planes fly and the aerodynamics, or you could do space. You could specialize in space. That's what I that's what I was drawn to ever since uh, the Apollo program. I was a you know young lady growing up in Montana when I saw the, watched Apollo eleven and boy go full circle and I get to work with the Apollo astronauts and now we're trying to get back to the moon and I'm trying to get people to Mars. All that to say that. Uh, the astronautics aspect of it, astronautics or aerospace engineering, we think about uh, when you're in orbit. So that's about, you know, 100 kilometers up in low Earth orbit, all the way to deep space, which is the moon, all the way to Mars. And then astrophysicists, well, sometimes people get confused. Astrophysics, that's physics. That's the science, you know, space science and studying the solar system, galaxies, universes, aerospace engineers, we typically <laughs> stay in our comfort zone of the solar system and think about the technologies as much as the scientific experiments. So hopefully that was uh, succinct enough, kind of aerospace engineering, kind of where, where it fits in. But as I said, now we're thinking about aerospace engineering, we're flying, we're flying higher than ever. So that's where kind of the, as the aeronautics place now kind of converges when, with astronautics. And we look at the whole spectrum of lots of times for engineers, it's our vehicles, it's our satellites. My specialty is biomedical, so I think about people in space. So interesting. You're, you're really on the cutting edge of uh, designing our future in many ways, uh, certainly in terms of, of space. Now, speaking of designing, I know that you designed a spacesuit called the Biosuit. What makes it different? What makes it special? And I know that we read about the problem of not having enough spacesuits to fit our women astronauts. Na NASA was confronting this. Will it, will it address that problem? Absolutely. So we're actually working on four suits right now. So I'll explain them. The, the bio suit is the one that I guess gets most of the, the media coverage and press. Uh, but essentially, in terms of the, the technology that we work on, is compression garments, if you will. So to live in space and to work productively in space, let's just say we're on the International Space Station. When you leave, you're protected and you have an atmosphere when you're working inside. We call that intravehicular activity or inside the vehicle. When you go outside the vehicle, we call that extravehicular activity or EVA, spacewalks. So that's when you see the astronauts dressed up in the, right now, kind of the big white looking Michelin man type of suit. It's, it's uh, quite massive. It's actually 140 kilos. That's pushing 300 pounds. It's in the weightless environment. So it's not going to squash you, but it's a pressurized, think of it as a balloon, a pressurized balloon. And you have to get all your work done. We've been to the moon on the Apollo suits. They were a little bit less massive. But you probably remember the, the famous uh, videos looked like a pogo. Yes. It looked like the astronauts were bunny hopping yes. across the moon. In my opinion, that's actually a uh, bad spacesuit design. Now, Interesting. It was great spacesuit design for the 1960s. I call the spacesuit the world's smallest spacecraft. That's what we're designing. You have to take all of the systems that the spacecraft would have. Now you wrap them around a body. So that's quite an engineering feat. So it's a marvel in itself. Every, every gas pressurized suit that's ever flown in space. Okay, so let's say, but we've changed the paradigm. So for the biosuit, what I envision then is still pressurizing the astronauts, keeping them alive in the vacuum of space. How can we do that? Either put them in a balloon. That's what's always traditionally been done. But our designs and my patents then put the pressure directly on the skin. So essentially I'm squeezing your skin 
I have to squeeze you with a third of an atmosphere. That's 30 kilopascals. A third of an atmosphere, I put that pressure in your skin. That's enough to keep you alive on the move, you know, to be a, a future Martian explorer. How do I do that? Well, I do that with um, very interesting patterns, which is basically the mathematics behind the biosuit. And then I also do it with advanced materials. And we're, we're inventing new materials today. So kind of the combination of our design, patterning, and materials to literally put you in a second skin suit. So as an aerospace engineer, I've studied <laughs> way more than anyone wants to know about skin. And I get a lot of help from my tissue engineering colleagues at MIT. <laughs> so precise. And, and are these suits comfortable at all? Yeah, it's like, you know, it looks like a kind of, you know, spandex. Uh, or I'm, I'm also a scuba diver, right? We explore undersea as well. So if you've ever been in a wetsuit, I mean, they're, they're pretty comfortable. They are skin tight. Obviously, they have to be skin tight because you need to pressurize you to keep your life. But then we really work on the biomechanics, um, enabling human mobility. So I'm trying not to have the astronauts waste any of their energy in the current, compared to the current gas pressurized suits, you waste probably 75% of your energy is just fighting the darn suit. So we flip that paradigm and I say, okay, if I can give you a skin tight suit, pressurize you, keep you alive. The, the helmet is, looks more conventional. It is a gas pressurized helmet to give you, you know, major vision. But we put a lot of advanced technology in terms of the heads up displays, the, the vision and the programming in times of the helmet. But back to the suit, it is a skin tight suit, but you can move around very, very naturally. So I want all of your energy going into searching for life. That's why we're going to Mars with our robots, with our rovers, but when we get astronauts there and we're going to practice on the moon, we're going to get to the moon in the next few years again with people. But I want to make sure that we can develop design and hopefully fly the best kind of state-of-the-art technology that we have. It's um, As an engineer, you know, I don't want to go backwards. I don't want to fly old technology. I want to make sure that we're developing new technology to enable exploration. You know, we look at the astronauts in their spacesuits, uh, probably most of us never thinking of what goes into it, uh, goes into the design, and certainly not imagining uh, what you just described uh, as the uh, spacesuit of the future for all of the reasons you uh, laid out its importance. So how does somebody like uh, Dr. Newman and all the achievements that you have made uh, to date where does that start? You mentioned a little bit about uh, Apollo, but were you intrigued by this field uh, as a child? Was there a moment uh, in your life when you said, what you're doing today is what I'm going to do in the future? Where did all this come from? Um, no, actually, when I was small, I thought I was going to be president. <laughs> so I didn't know what... That's not too bad either. Like, that would have been all right, too. Um, but um, I didn't know what engineers were or what they did. Uh, but I did love, I love school, I love sports, and I was all in, and I was probably a little explorer. That helps growing up in uh, the Rocky Mountains and just exploring, you know, beyond uh, you know, your, your, your neighborhood and running up the mountain and things like that. So it was a great place to grow up and really within nature. But since I didn't um, know what engineering was, it took me until, until college, so my undergraduate years at, at Notre Dame, that... I found out, wow, um, I had great skills, technical skills in STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, math. But I, I didn't, um, you know, have anyone that mentored me. I didn't tell, no one told me um, what an engineer was, or I could be an engineer, a little girl, you know, looking like me. I could be an engineer. No one told me that. So I kind of had to figure it out for myself. So that's why, that's where I speak all the time. 
and uh, I call it steamed. I'm recruiting every little girl, boy out there, anyone, and say, no, nope, uh, whatever your mental model is, I'm here to tell you that you can have the world's best job. You know, I, you can be the Apollo professor at MIT. You can uh, go to NASA and help lead NASA. Just whatever they dream, then there's a way to achieve it. And so I try to change the conversation. I'm talking to, to kids specifically. And I want to tell them, hey, I think being an engineer is the greatest job in the world. I get to design and build, and I get to build things in service of humanity. But we have to have that conversation that is inclusive, that makes sure that everyone can see themselves and, um, and work. So I ended up writing a, early on in my faculty career, I ended up uh, writing a book for, for freshmen, first-year students. The reason I wrote the book for first-year students is introduction. It's called, you know, it's called Interactive Aerospace and Design. It's kind of all the things I wish maybe someone in high school or even early college years would have told me about, oh, this is what engineers do. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts 
as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs, and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. So what was your uh, educational trajectory, if you will, once you were in college? How did you move into engineering, into aeronautics uh, later? Uh, how did that develop? So I, first I went in as pre-law <laughs> to Notre Dame. <laughs> Oops, can you imagine? Again, I thought maybe I'd, <laughs> that was funny. And um, I said, nope. But then I found out about engineering and I, mechanical engineering. Oh, I don't know. I said, oh, I'm so good at working on you know, <laughs> electrical engineering, mm, you know, aerospace. Oh, and then this gets back to early childhood passion. I did love to fly. I loved to look up at the stars. I loved, I loved the, I loved the idea that humans could reach the moon because that told us we were capable of anything. So for me, what Apollo told me was I could dream and I was a, a little dreamer. And so then I said, well, then it's going to be aerospace engineering for me. I have to go back and I had to you know, make sure I was taking the right physics for engineers and calculus for engineers and all those courses that I didn't necessarily need in my pre-law track. But I, but I caught up, and from there, it was when I decided to go to graduate school. I, I thought that uh, graduate school was probably for me. I didn't know. I, I had you know, worked at Boeing. I had worked out in the industry to give it a little bit of experience. And then um, but I said, it's probably not the airplanes and the spacecraft. For me, it's probably about enabling human exploration. That's my passion. And so at the, grad, at the graduate level, I went to MIT, and I went. I specialized in the lab that I'm, I'm still in, the human systems lab, and we really do specialize in astronaut performance, pilot performance. So it's engineering. We take engineering tools, control theory, dynamics, mathematics, engineering tools, but we apply them to humans and specifically humans, you know, in the, <laughs> trying to save lives, make sure that the pilot's safe, make sure that the astronauts are safe. And so for me, it um, included my, well, I did a few master's degrees, both in aerospace. I did one in technology and policy, given my early interest in, in policy, and science and technology policy. Then fast forward, my, my PhD then is in, was multidisciplinary and it's in aerospace biomedical engineering. And that's where I could um, really develop and hone my skills, learning about, okay, how are astronauts going to perform best on the moon, a low gravity environment, one six gravity on the moon, uh, when we get to Mars, three A's gravity on Mars. So that's a, uh, part of the story about, you know, my, my trajectory. It was a zig and a zag and a zig and a zag, but um, I, I have uh, no regrets. It's been wonderful. And was the totality of your graduate work done then at MIT once you got to MIT? I did. So I did uh, the two master's degrees, my PhD, and then my first, I left MIT when I, my first faculty job was down in Texas. Now you, you mentioned in the process of, of talking about how you got into the field, how important inclusion is, how devoted you've been to STEAM and enabling every girl and boy to get interested and stay interested and then succeed. But as a woman in a predominantly male field, you must have faced some barriers. If you did, what were they and how did you overcome them? Yeah, there's a, I kind of call them, you know, constraints. I try to turn them into opportunities. But uh, sure, the, the numbers weren't in my favor just during undergraduate when I finally uh, got my courage up and brave and said, I'm going to be an aerospace engineer. Well, in my class, I think we started out with four women and 40 men. 
And we ended up graduating just with two women. Thank goodness. My, my best buddy. <laughs> and, and the men as well. We were all friends. But uh, it's important, I think, to have a, have a colleague. So we were always uh, in the minority. I say you have to be twice as good because if you're an unrepresented minority, if you're a woman in a, you know, one of, of two out of 40, you're always going to be noticed. <laughs> you're always going to be noticed. So uh, we felt the pressure on, well, we wanted to be excellent. We wanted to show folks that, uh, you know, the girl can do this as easily as a, as a boy and everyone else. And so, uh, but there was also a lot of um, support and welcoming. So uh, navigating that, sure, I've had instances, but I'm tell you the truth, I'm a lot more comfortable when it's a mixed and diverse crowd. That's uh, engineers really are working teams. You know, I don't design anything by myself. I'm working anything by myself. It's always a team, myself, other faculty members, students, the graduate, uh, you know, postdocs. So we're all a team. And so all of my athletic, I had an athletic background and experience. That was really important for my success. Um, so, well, it's teamwork, you know, and teams are better when everyone has different talents. And so kind of bringing that diversity of, of skills and interests and intellect and diversity of all types, that just makes the most excellent team. So I think I kind of learned some of those teaming lessons from my early childhood, early career growing up more as an athlete and brought, brought those to my teaching experience uh, being being a professor and being inclusive and just saying it's also I'm um, pretty frank about it, uh, pretty matter of fact. I want uh, the U.S. to be, you know, incredible and, and get to Mars and succeed globally. We will cooperate, but I want to see the best and the brightest and the innovations coming, um, you know, out of my lab and <laughs> from MIT and all around the world. And I need everyone to accomplish that. I do not have the luxury to say, oh, 50 percent. I, I only, you know, the men can come, but not the women. No, no, I don't. That's, that's silly. That's just crazy. Everyone, again, every little girl and boy out there has a spark in their eye wants to solve, you know, work on the climate issues, you know, the engineering issues, clean water, get to Mars, all of these, you know, I'd say the top 10 challenges we have for humanity, then I need, I know I need all the best and the brightest. And so I don't exclude anyone. I try to see what kids' passions are and then try to say, it's my job as an educator, you know, to kind of help you realize that dream. That's such a, a an important description, I think, of a teamwork and diversity within teamwork that leads to the kind of outcomes that you've been engaged in and, and so many others that represent a really advancing progress in this space. Now at the Media Lab, or soon at the Media Lab, just a few weeks away now for you to direct it, uh, how will you ensure women's participation? So it's uh, they're always going to be included at the table. Everyone is going to be included at the table. And that's the only way I know to be excellent. And so that's just a requirement going in. There's a talent, endless talent all over. And, you know, at MIT, and we're not, we're, not a, we're not a huge big place. So how lucky are we to be able to make sure that we are very diverse? And I, uh, I'll always be working on my listening skills. I listen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to model behavior. I'll be at the table. And everyone around the table, men and women, and as I said, everyone represented, um, then everyone's going to have a voice and we're all going to listen to one another. And that's how uh, we're going to you know, really launch, literally launch into the, the future. And everyone's going to be challenged. So what's your great idea? What's your great idea? So that's what it is to me. It's like a melting pot of these great ideas. And then our, then the fun job is making them into reality. 
Well, and I think it's probably not lost on anyone with um, a woman directing the lab. That sends a very strong signal as well. You mentioned climate change, and it is the existential threat of our time. Uh, And I know that you've also been doing notable research in an initiative of yours called Earth Speaks, a platform to help regenerate some of the Earth's natural resources. How does that work? Uh, What does it do in terms of the challenges we face with climate change, if at all? Oh, thanks for the question. So that's, um, well, we started a nonprofit. The nonprofit's called earthdna.org. People can can go to that. And um, the reason to do this is I do wake up every day and say, what's the most important thing I can be working on today? And uh, it'll be, you know, working at MIT and the media lab. And I have a couple answers to that. Still getting people to Mars, but guess what? It's this decade, this decade that we're in, the next 10 years, um, seeing whatever I can do. I have to bring my skills to the table as a leader, as an engineer, and say, how can I help move the needle? How can I accelerate positive change when it comes to climate change? And so as a rocket scientist, you know, an aerospace engineer, I say, but guess what? I have a lot of skills. I have satellite data. I've been... Boy, oh boy, I've been learning a lot recently since I, um, I was NASA Deputy Administrator. I saw all the data. I came back to MIT, and my portfolio changed, my research portfolio, to about 50% looking at climate. And what do I know about climate? I, I put teams together. Of course, I go with the experts, the climate modelers, but really ramping up on AI, artificial intelligence. Specifically, we're using a lot of machine learning, very advanced machine learning techniques. to I call it curating the data from the satellites. I have petabytes of data a day, but... We have to curate it because we have to share it with people, science communications. We have to show people the data, very intuitive, supercomputer visualizations, but just makes sense. People look at a picture. They say, I get it. So there's the education piece about climate. Let's tell the story. Let's show the scientific data. I'm, you know, scientist and engineer. I say, science speaks. Here's the facts. Here's the facts. I'm not interpreting them. Just here's the scientific facts. So sea level rise. Um, temperature, global temperature of the sea, of air. I just share the, the data with people. Everyone gets it. Everyone's smart. They say, aha, the hard part is changing human behavior. How do we change human behavior? We have this incredible example in front of us. We just lived a year in a pandemic. Everyone has changed their behavior. So when it comes to climate, say, I'm, I'm an optimist. We want it to be interactive. We want it to be fun. And the ask is very small. What can I do every day? just to make the world a little better. And surely everyone can do something. So I never tell people, I don't have the solution for you, but guess what? I have an action that I can do personally. So it's just trying to model that. It's also training the next generation. We have, we have Earth DNA ambassadors. It's Earth DNA is data into action. So that's what that stands for. The double meaning, of course, is Earth DNA, our building blocks of life. And so that's um, part of the work that kind of call the, you know, we kind of call it our life project. Because we're all called to to do our best every day, in, in my opinion. And there's maybe some you know some things that I can do every day just um, to contribute positively and try to try to reverse the, the the way we're going. You know, that's such a terrific call to action because I think for many, the whole solution to climate change is so complex and so not easily understandable in terms of what needs to be done. But when you break it down the way you just did, in terms of literally every single one of us can do something that will make a difference, um, it's wonderfully graspable. And I think 
will serve society well if we all really commit to that. So, you know, as a scientist dealing all the time with great complexities, to have you explain that in the ways that you just did is is really uh, very gratifying. I know for so many who really do want to address this problem in some way, but don't feel they have the competency. Exactly. No, thanks. That's it. That's it. We're all, it takes all of us. And uh, student of Buckminster Fuller, and it really is, we need the world and earth and climate to work for 100% of humanity. And if that's the goal, to work for 100% of humanity, humans, all of being, be in balance with all, all beings, our oceans, uh, you know, our air, how do we do that? But through collective action, but NASA, I got to do a whole bunch of citizen science and open up our data from Jupiter to the world. Hey, world. Hey, now we're at Mars, you know, opening these things up. And so I think some of the same approaches for, for climate are going to be some of the keys. We just open it up to the world. Everyone out there is a, a small, budding genius, you know, needs some opportunities. We open up the data. We let everyone participate. And then we say, what's a, you know, what's a small action? What do I need to do today? They say, behavior change is hard. Uh, we don't have all the solutions, but working in teams and People should go with their passion. I know that much. People should go with their passion about, you know, I'm passionate now about climate, about space. Life. You know, you're, you're passionate about people and uh, standing up this amazing, you know, podcast, which is great. So everyone should go with their passion. And then there's something within that context that we can do. So to me, again, it's about small actions daily. But if we scale that to billions of people around the earth, then we'll really have significant global impact. You know, listening to you in the few minutes we've had together today, uh, and unfortunately rapidly coming to a close, everything that you've said seems to be truly permeated by a sense of deep optimism uh, with respect to what you see, what you do, um, what you feel. And I wonder, for so many, the world is just filled with challenges today. We've come through a very difficult period. Some of the world is still not through the pandemic uh, significantly even. What makes you this optimist that you clearly are? And, and what gives you hope? And what in that can raise all of us up a little bit to also share that optimism? Thanks for the question. It's wonderful. At the end of the day and every day, we have to, I, I guess it's compassion and empathy and wonder. I guess it's, it's, I'm, I'm compassionate and feel for everyone and every being and you know love i think is important we don't talk about it enough you know love one another and then the and then just nature i'm just inspired by nature all the time i feel like as again as a designer as an engineer has nature already figured this all out for me has it already designed all these <laughs> spectacular miraculous so i'm always trying to figure things out i'm a problem solver as an engineer and looking at nature and uh, being in wonder and awe I think that just gives everyone huge optimism. And um, then also believing again in, uh, uh, I love people and social being. I love animals. And so saying, we know we're all better together. And we are all exactly like at the end of the day. And so just treating people with respect and compassion, learning their story, uh, they make me a better person. You know, if I'm willing to listen and learn, they're going to, I know they're going to, you know, contribute, make me a better person. So, that's, I don't know, it's just simple philosophy. I'm just trying to be uh, excellent every day at what I, what I do. And if I see anyone around this, well, guess what? I'm a teacher trying to, to listen and learn and, and trying to make sure that the next generation, kind of propping them up, as I say, uh, always inspired by teachers and educators from, from my own personal family. 
And it's just a really rewarding work that we got to serve in the government. That was fantastic. And civil servants. I'm here as a professor at MIT. And um, boy, I sure am lucky. And that just gives me a lot to be optimistic about. Well, it's been awe-inspiring uh, to speak to you today. And I'm sure that all of those who are going to be tuned into this conversation uh, will feel similarly uh, lifted up. Clearly, you're a woman of great intellectual achievement. Uh, what you've been doing, continue to do in the world of science, but yet bringing it down to that human level that all of us could relate to, uh, and that is so important to creating the kind of world I think we all want to see. So for enabling human exploration as you do every day, and for all the wisdom you've imparted and will continue to, thank you so much, Dr. Deva Newman. Thank you for being with us. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. What an honor to be part of your Seneca's 100 Notable Women. It's just my honor. And uh, these are all the heroines that kind of I live in their, in their shadow. What an expansive and hopeful perspective Dr. Newman gives us. Here are three things I took from that amazing conversation. First, Dr. Newman reminds us about the challenges women have always faced when breaking into male-dominated fields. As one of only two women in her college courses, she constantly felt the pressure to prove herself, to be twice as good as the guys. But she always turned her constraints into opportunities and her colleagues into allies. Second, she once again shows us the importance of diversity in science and tech. There's talent everywhere, she says. And to solve the world's problems, we need the best and the brightest. No one is to be excluded, and everyone's voices must be heard. Finally, Dr. Newman's optimism is contagious. She knows that a better future is possible, and she shapes her vision of it through the lens of compassion and empathy and wonder and love. Tune in next Tuesday to hear our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Have a great day. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge, now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? 
M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, Peanut Butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of Peanut Butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.